the saint of the wilderness, also known as Sheffi, by Jess Carr, chapter 7, part 2. When he sat at Wendell Swicker's table on the following day, his skittishness had subsided to a feeling of well-being. Wendell Swicker said a long thanksgiving, and his soft-spoken wife, Rebecca, served their guest with grace, as was the household custom. Did you find everything at your farm in good shape? I didn't make no connection with who you was till Elizabeth straightened me out, Wendell Swecker said. Everything looks well kept to me, and I enjoyed staying the night. My brother just wanted me to take a look around. That was our home place. My father was Henry Sheffy. Ever hear of him around here? I never knowed him personally. I knowed of him, and your Uncle Daniel, too. They used to tell that your Uncle Daniel walked down the valley of Virginia from Baltimore with a cobbler's kit on his back. They tell me he was one of the smartest fellers ever hit this country, and that what he didn't know he learnt in a hurry. That story has been passed down in the family, Robert said. He cobbled shoes and studied for a while and then apprenticed himself to a lawyer, didn't he? Yes, sir. Alexander Smith, the one Smith County was named for. He left this section after a few years of law practice and went to Augusta County, Virginia. That's where two of my brothers went to live with him. The other three of us went to live in Abingdon with our mother's brother. Uncle Daniel served in the House of Representatives, but I can hardly remember it. He died when I was ten years old. Your pa married again, didn't he? After your mother died, Rebecca Swecker asked. Yes, he married Cena Knuckles, and then he died after his son by her, Ezra, was born. That's when we were all split up. My stepmother married again to a man both of you might know by the name of Joshua Jackson. Ever hear of him? I know of him, but seems to me they left this section of the county, Wendell Swecker said. Well, you're getting pretty close to home again, after all. Gonna to farming again? Robert is teaching school down a ways from Zimmerman, Elizabeth said. Well, it's getting thick settled up there now. You ought to have a big school, Wendell Swecker said. No, it isn't large. They have a school at Speedwell, and they've got one at Fogel Furnace. Mine is sort of in between and it's too far for the children to go either way to the other schools. Why, some of my students walk or ride six or eight miles. Elizabeth's sister, Leah, had been quiet, listening, but she smiled at him then and said, Are you ready to hire an old maid for a helper? I can't get no teaching job around here or nothing else. Robert was almost embarrassed to say he needed no help, because of the distance, he didn't think she was serious unless she anticipated boarding away from home. Elizabeth's other sister, Sarah, and brother Ben laughingly told Leah that they had her employment problems all taken care of if she'd just marry a certain neighborhood farmer of the area who was quite wealthy. Maybe being a rich man's darling wouldn't be so bad if the man was under 70, Leah said, but this one wasn't. Robert found out, and he joined in the family joke.
After they had eaten, he walked with Elizabeth to the spring at the side of the house. It was an abundant and unusual spring, for he could see hundreds of rising bubbles seemingly popping from the sandy bottom, then rising upward to the surface and bursting. It's the strangest thing I ever saw, Robert exclaimed. Nobody knows what causes it, Elizabeth said. There's been dozens of people come to look at it. That German swear, who used to run all up and down Cripple Creek, said it was some kind of strong air down under the ground trying to get out. Robert looked up at the sun and knew that it would be after dark before he got back to Bertha Kincanen's, but he couldn't tear himself away. You'd better be getting along, Elizabeth said. You don't know this section yet, and you could get lost after night. It's pretty country, and I'd like to see more of it. What I'm really saying is that I want to see you some more. I thank you, Robert, but I don't expect that we'll do. Don't your folks approve of somebody who doesn't live in the neighborhood? I'm over the age of needing to ask Mama or Papa about things like that. Suddenly he felt foolish for saying what he had. I just meant I didn't understand why I can't call anymore. It just won't do. Not for now, anyway, she repeated. Riding off with a heavy heart, Robert tried to recall if he had said or done anything that could possibly have angered Elizabeth Swecker. He could think of nothing, except that it was easy enough to tell that Elizabeth's brother Ben did not show a genuine friendliness toward him. Maybe he, Robert, had pressed her too much about having heard that she was married. No, it wasn't that, for then she wouldn't have asked him to Sunday dinner. Maybe the age difference worried her. Maybe seeing him reminded her of the other man who wouldn't go through with their marriage. But that would be foolish. She wouldn't judge him by another man. No answer made any sense to him, and he was thinking about it when he unsaddled his horse in the moonlight outside Bertha Kincanen's barn. The following week, and still another, Robert knew that if he had done any teaching at all, he had done it subconsciously, instinctively. He saw visions of Elizabeth Swecker dancing angel-like on his desk during the day, and she was the unseen table guest when he dined with Bertha Kincanen at night. He suspected that Mrs. Kincanen recognized the size of his, size, signs of his melancholy, although he hadn't told her all the complications. Nevertheless, when he felt his spirit ebb, she would make little attempts to cheer him up or change the pattern of his thinking. Robert, some of the older folks I've talked to sure are pleased with the good work you're doing with the young'uns. If it's not just bragging parents, you must have some real little scholars in your school. All of them are smart enough except for two or three. Cass Wilkinson's oldest do uh, boy will make a fine lawyer one of these days. You wait and see. Has there been any change in the Lewinsky girl? No, she's getting worse, if anything. She's always disrupting the class, looking for things. Her little brother shows the same signs, but not as bad. The girl just won't mind, and she's jerky and nervous, and does the craziest things for no, reason, no good reason. And you never know when she's going to do them. I promised you I'd find out more about the family, and I haven't done it. Give me a week. I'll get out while the weather is still pretty, 
Bertha Kincanen said. In the middle of the week, when he had dismissed the students for the day, Robert sat down and wrote a letter to Elizabeth. He didn't ask to see her. He'd go slow on that, but he felt that if he wrote occasionally and told her of his work and problems, he might get a reply and some feeling of unity between them. He wrote of Bertha Kincanen's fine home and how her ancestors had hand-molded and fire-kindled the red clay bricks used for the building. He wrote of Cass Wilkerson and what a fine businessman he was and how much he was helping the Cripple Creek Valley to grow with new jobs and new products for shipping el elsewhere. He wrote of Wanda Lewinsky at the very moment when the child burst back into the classroom, weeping and knocking over the stools. What is it? Robert rose quickly from behind his desk. The child ran from one side of the room to the other, upturning books on the tables and shattering slates in her frantic search. What is it, child? Robert demanded. I've got to find my coal. I can't find it anywhere. I'll, I'll die if I don't find it. I don't understand, child, Robert said. Is it something you lost during class today? It's my call. Don't you understand? Mama said I would die if I didn't find it. He began to help her look, not knowing at all what they were searching for. While he helped her, she calmed down, and her frantic babbling subsided to a barely audible whimper. He placed his arms around her shoulder. Wanda, child, what is it? I want to help you, but I don't understand. It don't matter none. I'll find it one of these days. I'm a-going home now, she said with a slightly Slavic accent mixed with the mountain dialect. That night he told Bertha Kincanen what had happened. It's the worst she's ever acted, Robert said. And what is a call anyway? I can see you've never met any midwives. A call is a baby skullcap or head covering at birth. In some places, when a baby is born, the midwife, or sometimes even the mother, will sell the call or this call. It is supposed to bring luck and protection. Many sailors buy them in the seaport cities of the world as protection against drowning. Robert was a little embarrassed, but he was too deep into the subject to drop it now. You mean it's a part of the afterbirth? Yes, but all is cut away except that portion which covered the infant's head. It dries out like the shed skin of a snake, and I suppose the owner carries it around his neck or attaches it to his body in some way. Well, they didn't teach us that at Emery and Henry. You have learned something today, but Bertha Kincanen smiled. I have heard that the call of a princess or the offspring of a very important person brings an exceedingly high price, and it's passed down from one generation to another. It is one possession that traditionally is never taken from the owner by murder or theft. To do so destroys its good luck powers for an unworthy owner. Now I know what a call is, but why... Would a 12-year-old child search for her own? Maybe I can cast some light on that. I told you I would do some checking around. I did. I talked to a woman who lived near the Lewinsky family when they first came here and lived on Gleaves Knob. Mrs. Lewinsky was crazy then, and I guess she's still crazy. You'd think she 
puts all these ideas in her children's heads and they don't know she's not right. I'm thinking they know that something is not right, but they don't know her good times from her bad ones. They've lived with it too long. Yes, that would explain it, Robert said. If we ever find out the truth, I'll wager Mrs. Lewinsky sold her child's call, and now as in her twisted mind, she has convinced the girl that if she doesn't find it, she will die. Robert pondered her statement without saying anything. It wouldn't be hard to believe if we remember that the child has probably heard her mother's ravings since she was very small. Yes, I guess it would work that way, he said. Now what to do about it is the next question. My guess is you'll have to take her out of school. I know you'll want to talk to Cass about it first. There's not much else to do if the child keeps the others from learning and upsets them. When he mentioned the incident and Bertha Kincaid's findings about the Lewinsky family to Cassa Wilkerson, the latter said, Our sons have been telling us about the Lewinsky children. Stanless Law, Lewinsky doesn't work for us, but I know, I know him. I've heard talk that there was some family trouble there, but since they moved farther up the on the mountain, I haven't heard any more about it. I suppose as long as Mrs. Lewinsky stays away from people, they make out all right. Yes, I suppose so, Robert said, except for the children, that is. Do you think we ought to take the Lewinskys out of school? I've had it on my mind a lot, and I wish we didn't have to. I've got an idea, but I want to reread some of the notes I took at college. A visiting professor from London talked to us once about a case like this. I'll tell you more when I study a little. I hope you can handle it. I must say, you've been doing a fine job here, Robert. The children think you're somewhat peculiar in your ways, but they're learning, and that's the important thing. Thank you. I regret I haven't been able to help you more, but as you can tell, I've had my hands full. See, we've got the lot full of salt kettles, and now we're spilling over into the meadow, so they're cauldrons i wonder wondered what they were yep most most of these go to saltville there's an awful lot of people using an awful lot of salt that's all i got to say the country is growing robert agreed and if we ever get the railroad we'll really see something the railroad won't get here until we break the backs of those capitalists promoting the canals canals may be fine for lynchburg and Richmond, but I'd like to see a canal boat coming down New R River and it fast flowing north. Uh, Robert agreed with him, for Lawrence had mailed an Abingdon paper and it had said the very same thing. Well, at any rate, when the railroad does come, we'll be sailing more plow points, nails, and bridge spikes. Let me know what you decide about the other. The notes Robert searched for were those taken during a lecture given early in the first college term. Recorded were certain theories of British philosophers pertaining to the human mind. The visiting professor had expounded on this, saying how easily a child could be either properly guided or corrupted by philosophies or specific suggestions repeated over and over again. This influence in the home, most times innocent and natural, was what made people as they were.
The danger, according to the professor, lay in the fact that a wrongful suggestion could be as impressive if repeated continuously as a right one. The cure for such a misguided person was either to drive the false learning from his mind completely or to cause him to question the truth of his learning each time the occasion arose to use it or think about it. In serious cases, just telling a person that his learning was based on a lie and potentially harmful would not have much effect, the professor had explained. The will had to be broken and the mind subjected to self-examination. Now Robert had the idea for dealing with his classroom problems with Wanda Lewinsky, but a practical means of execution was another matter. He outlined his plans to Bertha Kincaid at supper one night and solicited her aid. Of course I'll help, but I want to know if it's all right with the child's father. Have you talked it over with Cass, and does he approve? I discussed it with Cass first. He spoke to Mr. Lewinsky, and Mr. Lewinsky told him that the business about the call was only one of the crazy notions the girl's mother was putting into the child's head. Cass said to go ahead then? Yes, he said that as long as we didn't hurt the child, he and the child's father were willing to try anything. Cass doesn't have much faith in the method, but we but he knows we've got to do something or make her leave school. People will think we're plumb crazy when they hear about it. Robert couldn't sleep during the early hours of the night, and he lit the lamp by his bed and wrote a long letter to Elizabeth. Again he did not ask to see her, but tried hard in his writing to achieve a sense of needing and longing for her. As a final touch, he pen-sketched at the bottom of the paper a drawing of the rising sun coming anew upon the Cripple Creek Valley. In the foreground, a young man and woman walked across Cripple Creek on a foot log, and the man held the woman's hand so she would not fall. The young woman had hair falling to her waist. He drew his pen back and forth across her hair until the blackness penetrated the paper. During the week that followed, Wanda Lewinsky seemed to suffer from melancholy, but there was no outbreaks of temper or destructiveness. When the school day was over, on Friday, Robert pulled the girl into the saddle behind him and took her toward the home of Bertha Kincaid, as they had previously planned. The child had been told earlier in the week that she would be staying with Bertha Kincaid, so it was not lack of preparedness which caused her to tremble in the saddle behind him. Comfortingly, he spoke to her as they rode along. You'll like staying with Mrs. Kincaid. She is nice and has pretty things. On Monday after school, I'll take you home and tell your papa what a good time you had. That night, Bertha Kincaid fixed a meal with all the trimmings. The child gnawed hungrily at the leg of the rooster and handled the English silver of her hostess with both visible wonder and care. Later in the evening, when all of them sat in the parlor, Robert began to the approach he had both agonized and prayed over. Wanda, Mrs. Kincaid and I asked you to stay here this weekend so we could help you. Do you believe that? he asked. The child rubbed her hands together in her lap and nodded slightly. I believe in some ways you have adult understanding, Wanda. In other ways you are still a very small child. 
Do you really believe you must find your call? Robert said, or asked. Mama says, I got gotta find it or I'll die, Wanda uh, said trembling. Your mama loves you, child, but she is sick, Bertha Kincaid said. She's good as anybody, the child blurted angrily. Of course she is, Robert agreed. She's just sick, and she can't help that. She's sick like other people when they run a fever or get sick to their stomachs. We have no way to help her, but maybe we can help you, Bertha Kincaid said. What are you going to do to me? You ain't going to hurt me. No, child. We wouldn't hurt you for anything. You must believe that, Bertha Kincaid said, and rose from her chair to put her arm around Wanda's shoulders. The only thing we want to do is help you forget about the call. If you can't forget it, you must learn that it isn't important any longer, and that some of the things your mother says you needn't listen to, Robert said. Papa's been telling me telling that to us lately but we ain't sure about believing him. Mama says she can see things other people can't see. She tells me and my brothers scary stories all the time, and they're so real the hair on my neck stands up. But you must learn the true stories from the made-up ones, Robert admonished. You must forget about finding the call. You simply must. If you don't, you will get sick like your mother, and you might cause your brothers to become sick also. You will need to Help them after we help you. I believe Mama. She ain't never done nothing bad to me. Papa screams at her and says things about Mama that I don't think are right. It's not good for your Papa to scream at your Mama. But he doesn't know how to help her. And maybe he's scared you will become like her, Bertha Kincaid said. He shouldn't ought to scream at her, Wanda said. No, he shouldn't, Robert agreed. That's why you must understand that your mama is sick and help her and your little brothers. Mama ain't sick. If anybody is sick, it's Papa. What's sick? No, child, Bertha Kincaid said. Wanda, you are going to stay here with Mrs. Kincaid and me tonight and tomorrow and Sunday. When I take you back to school on Monday, I want you to be changed in two ways. I want you to believe that your mother is sick and that you will not die if you don't fi ever find your call. In fact, let's get that straight right now. You will never find it. It can't be found, Robert said. Wanda started to whimper, and then tears rolled down her cheeks until soft sobs echoed throughout the room. Both Robert and Bertha Kincaid pulled their chairs closer to, the wand to Wanda that she might feel their nearness. I love Mama. I love Mama so, the girl cried. We know you do, Robert said. And that is a good thing. She is lucky to have a fine daughter like you, and she needs a strong, healthy girl to help her. But Mama ain't sick, or she couldn't love us, Wanda argued. She is both well and sick at the same time. Bertha Kincaid tried a new approach. She can be well in one part of her mind and sick in the other parts. Can you understand that, child? I don't believe you. You all don't like my Mama, and Mr. Sheffy fussed at me when I was looking under things for my call. I didn't want you to be looking for something that wasn't there, Wanda. It upsets you, and your behavior upsets the class. We must find a way to help you, or you will need to be dismissed from the school. No, I don't want to leave. Wanda rose from the chair in protest.
I like it better than anything at all. Uh, Bertha Kincanen seated the child gently and cast a look of desperation toward Robert. Robert heaved a sigh and began again. Wanda, for whatever length of time it takes, you are going to change your mind. Mrs. Kincanen and I will stay by your side all night and all of tomorrow and all of tomorrow night if it takes that long to make you understand what we are trying to reveal to you. The child stiffened then. Her posture was not one of fear, but of defiance. Robert looked deep into her eyes and saw there a determination to hold her ground, and if necessary, to fight for it. Alternatively, he and Bertha Kincanen repeated the same statements to the child. Your mother is sick. You need not look for your call. You're, you will never find it, and you will not die. Even well into the night, Wanda showed no signs of fatigue, but Robert's bones seemed to ache from the mental and physical effort he was putting forth. Bertha Kincanen yawned, but kept up her efforts to bombard the child verbally. A rooster crowed in the barnyard before Wanda showed signs of tiring. Then she yawned, and her eyelids drooped like weighted objects. Bertha Kincanen walked tiredly to the kitchen and brought back a dish of cold water and a rag with which she bathed the child's face. Then it was like starting all over again. Mama ain't sick. She's weller than you and me. If I don't find my call, I'm gonna die. No, child. You must believe your mama is sick. You can never find your call, Robert pleaded softly but wearily. Full daylight came and Robert's stomach was stinging from hunger and thirst. He could see the fatigue in Bertha Kincanen's face. Only the child seemed vigilant, as if sustained by some hidden power. They would not give up, and they would not eat. They must win this battle, Robert thought. They must win, for if they lost now, there would not be another chance, and there was too much at stake to call retreat. In an hour he felt the strength of a second wind, Bertha Kincanen had bathed her own face with the wet cloth and looked alert. Bertha Kincanen took her turn and repeated the same statements Robert had made in exactly the same way and in the same strength of voice. Finally, the child showed signs of tiring again. Strangely, her fatigue had overtones of victory and not defeat. Robert motioned Bertha to hand him the wet cloth and the dish it was kept in. He squeezed the cold water out of the rag until the bowl was nearly half full. Without warning, he splashed the entire contents of the bowl onto the child's face. Even Bertha Kincanen jumped. Wanda sputtered, but didn't cry. She had shown no signs of crying for several hours. Bertha handed Robert a towel, but he waved her away. All of them sat in silence, the child's face still dripping with water, and her dress getting wetter and colder. Wanda looked at her clothes and then at Robert and back to Bertha and back to Robert again. As the child's glance moved from one of them to the other, Robert could see cold fury in her face. Neither her nor Bertha uttered a sound as they watched the child. Like the moon moving from behind the cloud, they watched Wanda's face change. The taunt, angry lips, and gritting teeth of fury became trans formed into an expression of almost angelic sadness. 
Then the welled-up tears burst loose, and she sprung, sprang from her chair and clung to Bertha Kincaidan. Mama's so sick. She's so sick. The child wailed, and Bertha held her tighter. Robert found himself awkwardly patting the child's back and wiping his own tears. They all had breakfast then and mentioned no more the subject that had held them captive for over eight hours. Wanda ate heartily. Then Bertha Kincaidan put her to bed. The child slept for the rest of the day and throughout the night. When Sunday came, the three of them rode in Bertha's buggy to church at Simmerman. All day Robert and Bertha exchanged glances and smiles of elation at what was obvious in, to both of them. The heaviest part of a great burden had been lifted, and with a, any luck at all the f uh, flower growing under the rock could now be drawn straight and upright toward the sun. Throughout the school day on Monday, Wanda Lewinsky sat in a daze, and Robert made no special demands of her. There were times during the day when he wanted to take the child in his arms and comfort her, but he knew he couldn't. He dismissed the ch students early and loaded the Lewinsky children into Bertha's buggy, which he had borrowed from the, for the day. He had expected Stanislaw Lewinsky's wife to be a wild, raving woman, big in body and excessively animated in movement. Instead, he met a mousy woman, short in height and not quite plump. She was also younger than he expected her to be, only greenish eyes that were not fully conscious of the present gave away her state of mind before her con conversation confirmed with certainly all aloofness from reality. Robert waited until Stanislaw Lewinsky came home from work and gave him a detailed report on what he had done. I'm glad for you to tell her, Wanda, my child, she wouldn't believe me, Mr. Lewinsky said. Whatever Wanda faces, whether Wanda faces the truth or not, is up to her. But she does know the truth now, Robert said. You must stay and eat at my table, Mr. Sheffy. We would have honor to have we would have honor to have the teacher of our children, Mama, uh, he yelled across the yard. Set another plate for Mr. Sheffy. Robert sat on the porch of the cabin with Mr. Lewinsky until Wanda came to fetch them both to the table. Stanislaw Law, Lewinsky looked upon his daughter with a new pride, Robert thought. The child's father put his arm around uh, her waist before they were seated at the table. My Wanda is a good girl, he said. She's a good girl, wouldn't you say, Mama? Mrs. Lewinsky looked toward her husband, but Robert could tell she made no sense of what her husband was trying to say. It no matter, Mama. It is so good to have Wanda home again. Finally, the dull eyes of Wanda's mother focused half-knowing upon them all, and she said, Lewinsky, what you mean you want... Wanda home? She's not been nowhere, and she ain't going nowhere. Wanda rose from the table and held her mother's face in her hands. Oh, Mama, she said, you need me so much to look after you. I'm never going to leave you. Robert had not 
come very far down the mountain before he claimed or before he climbed from the buggy and knelt upon the thick moss beneath the trees. He thanked God for the Lewinsky family, asking to in particular that little Wanda might be a further blessing to her parents and expressing gratitude that he and Bertha Kincanan had been instruments of healing. Next time, Chapter 8.